Welcome to the Love is Coming podcast, the must-listen show for single women struggling to attain or sustain a romantic relationship. I'm your host, Persia Lawson, author, speaker, and according to the Times Magazine, one of the UK's most successful love coaches. Before that, I was a serial cheat and obsessive love addict, but I'm now a bride-to-be and in the best relationship of my life. So, If you're trying to do the work on your love life, you are definitely in the right place. But here on the Love Is Coming podcast, we serve your education with a side of entertainment. Expect serious stuff talked about not so seriously, solo agony on episodes with yours truly, and guest episodes showcasing some of the best in the biz in ways you've never seen them before. So, got a dating dilemma? Swiping right but haven't yet found Mr. Right? then let's get raw, real, and a little bit inappropriate because love is coming for your baby in more ways than one. Hello. So a little bit of trivia for you. Um, The topic of today's podcast was one of the most Googled questions around dating back in the year 2017. Couldn't find anything more current for you, but this was very, very relevant apparently back then. So Um, I know that it was a very relevant question that I certainly Googled myself back in 2011 when I was trying to work out if my boyfriend at the time who had cheated on me um, a few months before had done it again. Um, Spoiler alert, yes, he had. Uh, I am no longer in that relationship. However, um, he's still a dear friend. And in fact, he's an usher at our wedding because my lovely fiance, Joey Wilness, is has become best friends with that guy. I wasn't expecting to say all this, but I'm just going to go there because because it kind of feels relevant to today's podcast episode, and and it's also something I've already shared in the in effect, so it doesn't feel um it doesn't feel like that big a deal. Um, I I often get asked, you know, how are you still friends with your ex, particularly an ex who who wasn't great to you? And there's a few answers to that. One is well you know, with with most of my ex-boyfriends, I was actually really good friends with them before. Um, and and so I think when, when you have the t- enough time apart from that person, like to really get them out of your system, it's really going to be minimum a year, if not longer, especially when you're both in, in new relationships that are healthy and happy for the most part. Um, I think it's absolutely possible to be friends with your ex. I think I'll do a whole other episode on that. Um, but also, um, I like him cheating on me was the best thing that could have ever happened to me because I was so awful to the guys that I dated before him. I cheated on all my boyfriends. Um, I was just a bit of a a hot mess when it came to dating and relationships, to be honest. And I needed something, I needed it to be done to me to understand how it felt because I was just oblivious and numb. And it sounds so ridiculous to say that now because obviously, of course, it's not good to cheat. Of course, it doesn't feel good to the other person. But sometimes we need a taste of our own bloody medicine and karma is a little bit of a bitch in case you hadn't um, experienced that for yourself. So yeah, I uh, I was a nightmare in relationships and I definitely was someone who not even arguably, I was, I was toxic. And I think that a lot of the time men get a bad rep. And um, certainly with women, there can be this narrative that men treat women like shit. And women are these victims and oh, it's so awful. And I always get done like treated like shit. And actually, what I want to start by saying is that 
if you are in a toxic relationship, like a toxic relationship can co- only come about because there are two willing participants. That's a hard old truth to realize. Um, and I learned that the hard way. If we are pa- we are participating in it, no one is holding a gun to our head and saying that we have to be in it. Okay, obviously I'm going to just do a little um, disclaimer when it comes to an abusive relationship, which is 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 much more intense than just a, your basic bitch toxic relationship, that's obviously a different scenario. We might touch on that in a bit, but I don't want us to get confused because obviously in those situations, there are women and in some cases men who are in very, very abusive relationships because they feel that they cannot, like they cannot escape them because they fear for their life or they fear for their child's life or whatever. I'm just talking about your bog standard toxic relationship in this episode. Glad we got that clear. So it's going to be very useful to you if you have a history of tumultuous and painful relationships. Uh, If you find nice guys boring and are way more drawn to bad boys, and if you feel like the person you're dating is hiding something, this is something that comes up a lot um, in my DMs, to be honest. So in this episode, I'm going to be sharing the top six signs that your relationship is toxic, why you are doomed to live a life of harrowing love stories unless you do this one key thing, and how to know if the relationship you're in can be saved and how to save it. So let's get stuck in, shall we? Okay, the top six signs that you are in a relationship, uh, a toxic relationship. So if you've been following me for a while, you will know that I'm very big on taking ownership and responsibility for how you are showing up and not allowing yourself to fall into what I mentioned earlier, that victim diatribe and narrative, which is it's everyone else's fault and woe is me and poor me and I always get treated badly. When I'm sharing these six signs, like, All of us have been guilty of showing up in our romantic life in this, in one of these, if not more than one of these ways, probably all of these ways to to a degree. Um, And so I want you to not just go, oh yeah, I've dated a guy like that. I've dated a guy like that. I want you to say to yourself, shit, yeah, I've done that. I've done that. I've done that. And, And also this doesn't just have to be in romantic relationships. This can absolutely be in platonic relationships. And I see this a lot in relationships between girlfriends like literally from, you know, play school to teenage years to women in their 50s, 60s, 70s. This is one of those, um, you know, that we have certain ways that we can show up as women, which we need to look at and examine very closely. Okay, so you're going to be listening out for what you identify with, not just, oh, yeah, some guy's done that to me in the past. Okay, so top six signs. Firstly, regular lying and gaslighting. So I'm going to just own my my own shit very much in this episode. I'm going to go through each one and, and kind of say how I showed up like this. Regular lying. Yep, I lied to every boyfriend. In fact, I would say that Joe and um, the couple before him were the only two. And I, you know, had, having done a lot of work on myself by the time I was in those relationships, um, I was really hot on showing up. And being honest, because I know that my natural impulse is to lie to save my my ass. Um, I think a lot of ours is not everyone's, but I think a lot of us just it's an instinct. It's like if I say that I'm going to get shunned or exiled or broken up with and it's just a protective mechanism. So I lied all the time and that went from where I was going to who I was seeing. And it wasn't that I had I never had jealous boyfriends really. I tried to make boyfriends jealous all the fucking time. They weren't having any of it. I didn't really have jealous boyfriends, but I, um, 
I definitely would lie because I was cheating on them and I didn't want them to find out. Gaslighting is essentially where you, um, they, that person that you're dating might confront you and say, listen, I, I don't believe you or, or, you know, are you seeing someone else or are you lying to me? And you say, don't be ridiculous. It's all in your head. God, you're so paranoid. It's where you basically make them believe that they are crazy. Um, and yeah, I did that. I did that a lot. So um, it's not all just men gaslighting women and treating women like shit. I know a lot of women who have shown up in these ways as well. So have you ever done that to a friend? I've definitely done it to friends. If a friend's kind of found out something that I've done that was not cool and instead of just owning it, just sort of bullshitted and said that they were crazy and that they were really controlling and um, paranoid. So have you ever done that? Let me know. Send me an Instagram, be honest. Uh, Okay, so the next, jealous and controlling. Jealous and controlling. So have you ever been jealous or controlling of your partner, I can own it and say, not only have I been jealous and controlling in the past, I have been with my relationship with Joe, not so much jealous, in fact, not jealous. I've never worried about him going off with other other women, but controlling for me, absolutely. And what it looks like today, I'm, I have to say, give myself credit, I'm a hell of a lot better than I used to be. But the controlling around just really boring stuff, like leaving the toilet seat up, not putting his knickers, I call them his knickers to to kind of, to be honest, I guess that's a little bit mean, isn't it? Pick your knickers up off the floor instead of saying boxes. I want, I want to demasculinate him when I'm doing that. It's not very nice. Um, I, yeah, controlling around how he makes the bed or should I say doesn't make the bed over his bedroom floor drove, like all of these things. They're a lot more trivial now, but in the past when I've been controlling of boyfriends, it was much more like, at least nowadays, my controlling of Joe is very like overt, like it's just very clear. Whereas back in the day, it was much more covert. Like I was very manipulatively trying to control. I was trying to control without them realizing, like pulling the puppet strings, but without them realizing I was doing it. Um, what this often looks like when a man is jealous, controlling of a woman, it, it's, you know, what she's wearing, where she's going and who she's going with, controlling money. Um, looking at the phone, this is something both both women and men can do, you know, happens all the time. And I used to always be checking my boyfriend's phone um, and social media. And the reason I did that is because I was doing the dirty and it was almost like I was trying to catch him out so that I wouldn't feel so guilty. Another thing, um, if you're in a controlling relationship, that person might be trying to isolate you from your loved ones because they are essentially afraid that, that those people can see through your bullshit. Um, so I would love to know, have you ever been jealous or controlling in, um, in a relationship? And if so, what did that look like for you? Please just send me your DMs. I won't, I won't post them. I promise. Um, I just think it's a, it's a good way to, to take some ownership, I think. Okay. So another thing, if you're in a toxic, another sign of a toxic relationship, the other person plays the victim. Oh, well, I've been guilty of this a lot. So you do essentially like I would do something wrong instead of just going, yeah, you're right. I was a dickhead or that wasn't cool of me. I turn it around and put it back on them and take no responsibility. So it was either like, oh, yeah, well, I might have done that, but it's only because you did this or or not even admitting I'd done anything. No, like you're, again, some gaslighting would come in and then it would be like, you know, I'd find a way, I was very, very good at it, of finding a way to make myself be the victim. 
it's something I still have to watch very much in in all my relationships um, because you know what it's so tempting because it just you completely take up like I'm not do, I'm not doing not taking responsibility for that I'm just you know you put yourself in the in the helpless sort of child um, identity and that doesn't bloody serve you and I don't have to tell you why it doesn't serve you it's really obvious but. I want you to be honest with yourself. Are you Have you been guilty of, in any of your relationships, playing the victim as a way of getting out of responsibility for yourself in some way? Okay, fourth sign of a toxic relationship. Um, they make excuses. So, so, okay, if you're in a toxic relationship with someone, you might find that you make excuses from, for them. If they, if they don't show up to things they said they would, you hide things from family and friends. So if they've cheated on you, you might not want to tell your family and friends because you don't want them to think badly of this person because deep down you know that you're going to forgive them and get back together. And the reason that's not okay is you have to ask yourself, why? Why would I, like, of course, no human is perfect. We all fuck up. We all make mistakes. But if you are consistently editing or only showing parts of your your um, partner to your friends and family or, you know, what's that about? What are you afraid of? Is it that, you know, again, whilst we, you know, we're, we're human, we make some mistakes. If it's, if it's a consistent thing, you know your friends or family are going to say, what are you, what the hell are you doing with them? And they're not going to like them. And then that kind of makes your future with this person very unstable. I think a lot of us can really identify with being in that position in our love lives at some point or another. So just, um, and, and listen, I've done that for friends as much as I've, I've done that for partners in the past. So uh, next, number five, hostile communication. We've definitely all been guilty of this. So that might look like yelling at them in the street name calling, passive aggression, show me a woman who is not passive aggressive at times, and I'll show you an enlightened woman. Um, belittling you in front of other people, mocking, throwing, you know, more physical, throwing things, breaking things, physical aggression, there's many different sort of flavors of hostile communication. But I have to say the thing that generally speaking, as women, we need to watch out for most is yet that there's a lot of nagging, again, still very guilty of that, although I am better than I was, it is the passive aggression. It's the little microaggressions that you, that we can often dress up as you trying to be helpful, but really you're patronizing, you're putting them down, or you're trying to control them. So I'm trying to get better at catching myself when I do that and just going, sorry, that was really passive aggressive of me. Sorry, that was really controlling of me. I don't always manage to do that, but it's if you can catch yourself in the moment, it's not expecting ourselves to be perfect. You know, women like men, we have been conditioned to show up in these really unhealthy ways over thousands of years, really. You know, I always, I, I talk about this in my book, um, Love is Coming, quite a bit. I have a whole chapter on like how women have essentially, the reason we're passive aggressive and not struggle to communicate particularly with men, is because for thousands of years, we, you know, because we live in a patriarchal culture, we didn't have power over our voice or over our choices. So the only way that we could have any sense of autonomy and freedom um, and power was to be very covert about it. And I think that's very much stayed with us. Um, and so we need to be compassionate with ourselves. We need to forgive ourselves that, that we find it difficult but that isn't to say we don't take responsibility and we have to keep, 
you know, progress, not perfection. We need to keep moving in the right direction. So final sign of a toxic relationship, you feel constantly, almost chronically anxious in obsession over this person on edge because you don't have security in this relationship because your gut knows, your psyche knows deep down that this is not sustainable, that this part, you're not sure how this person feels about you. If you do not have the answer to that question, like genuinely inside yourself, know how that person feels about you, know that they love and adore you. And that even when you're going through a rough patch, you still know how they feel about you. You do not have a foundation to base relationship on. That is the absolute bottom line of what you must have. If you do not have that, there is no point moving forward. And too often I see women, and I used to be one of them, holding on for these crumbs of attention and affection from the guy that they're dating, reading all the subtext into these text messages that probably isn't there. They just they are just holding out for anything because they are too afraid to admit the truth, which is that this guy is one foot in and one foot out. And it is better, honestly, to be on your own than be with someone who is one foot in and one foot out. That is exhausting. It's debilitating. It just the anxiety you know, the anxiety of not knowing where you stand with someone. And again, that goes for friendships as well. If you are not sure how that person feels about you, it doesn't make them wrong that they don't feel that way, like fully about you. It's okay. But if you keep allowing someone access to you and keep investing so much emotionally in them, then what it says is that you don't really value yourself and you don't really value your time. Because there are so many other people out there who would value you and be both feet in 100%, but you don't really believe that. You believe this is the best it's going to get. And that is where the work is. So I would love to know whether in um, the comments or again, I uh, DM me on IG, which of those six toxic signs do you uh, relate to the most? Like what is one of the things that shows up the most? So we've got the regular lying and gaslighting, jealousy and controlling, playing the victim. You make excuses and hide things about your partner and the relationship from your friends and family, hostile communication, and you feel constantly chronically anxious in obsession and uh, and on edge, that treading on eggshells egg feeling. I know for me that the thing that played out from my side, I mean, it was too, the, the, the lying, I was compulsive liar and the the hostile communication um really with particular passive aggression and manipulation game playing okay let's move on why you're doomed to to a life of harrowing love stories unless you do this one key thing okay so this is something i talk about all the time with my work it all goes back to childhood we will unconsciously play out and try to fix those things that we couldn't as a child in doing that, we are trying to get closure. So that is why, for example, if you had a really controlling, critical father, you might date guys who are controlling and critical because you are trying to get your dad to give you freedom, to get your dad to um, approve of you. And that's why we play it out. And it doesn't matter whether it's the father or mother relationship that can both of them contribute to the types of people that you are attracted to because it feels familiar. So think of it what was what were the key dynamics that you grew up with in your parents with your relationships with your parents did you have a really overbearing 
worrying mother, in which case maybe you're going to be drawn to a relationship where there is that sense. And maybe it'll be you that you cast yourself in that role, that you become the worrier and the constant one who's trying to fix and and micromanage the relationship and, and everyone's feelings. What is the key thing? What is the key pattern that you see show up in your relationships time and time and time again? What are the types of qualities, negative qualities in in your uh, past relationships and your past partners that show up again and again? So the key here, it's all about interrupting the pattern. And the only way to do that is you've got to get really conscious and you've got to go deep and you've got to do the work around looking at your childhood, looking at your past relationships And you can do this, you can do this in various different ways. You can do this with a good therapist. This is something we do in my program, Get Your Soulmate, which is closed for enrollment right now. But if this interests you, then we'll be opening the doors at the end of November, 2021. Um, Also, if you want to spend a lot less money, um, then my new book, Love is Coming. This is something I talk about a lot in it as well, just to get you clear around your past patterns and how they've contributed negatively to your romantic life. It's not because you are unlucky unlucky that your love life isn't working. It's not because you're unlucky. It just means that you need to get conscious and do some, get curious and conscious and do some exploring and some examination of why things aren't working. If you think about it, if you have a business that isn't going well, what do you do? You you take an inventory, you work with a business coach, you look at all facets of the business and you try and understand what is going wrong. You don't just sort of cross your fingers and hope for the best. That is a surefire way to going bankrupt. Let me tell you. Okay, so another key part of this to uh, the, the one key thing that you need to do really is to work on your relationship with you. Because when you make your relationship with yourself solid, that is to say you uh, learn how to value yourself and respect yourself. You learn what your boundaries are. You learn how to communicate those boundaries effectively with everyone in your life. You learn how to navigate conflict, all of these various different things. So it's learn your relationship with yourself, but then your relationship with yourself in relationship in relation to other people. These are not things that are taught to us at school. They absolutely bloody should be. The world would be very different if they were. But it really is up to each of us if we want to have a healthy, happy, not just romantic relationship, but relationships across the board, then we have got to be willing to do this work. Like, I'll be honest, I'm the first person not so much in my romantic relationships, but certainly in friendships, when when shit comes up, find it so uncomfortable, I just want to avoid it. I want to run for the hills. That is my natural impulse. And I have to really work on, um, sometimes it requires space, but once that space and, and to, you know, to, to kind of go away and do my own work around it and see where my part in the issue and the conflict was. But then at the appropriate time, and that always kind of unfolds as necessary, to to sit down and to have that difficult conversation and to speak your truth and to hear the hear out the other person. It's the only way. It's the only way we ever hope uh, have a hope of having a healthy relationship. Um, there's a, a brilliant psychotherapist called Dr. Sarah Williams, and she says toxic partners, toxic partners, sorry, toxic partners do not operate in isolation. They generally have others that are willing to facilitate their toxicity. So this is what I was saying earlier, and this is what I wanted to just round off this section with. It's never just us, or it's never just the other person. So 
anytime anything happens. So even when it's something like, you know, your, your partner cheats on you, very rarely does that situation just come out without any red flags or any warning signs. Much of the time, and I'm not, I'm not saying all the time, but much of the time there were signs and we didn't want to see them. I know that was the case for me when I was cheated on. And I know that was the case when boyfriends just did not want to see some really obvious clues. So we have to realize it's our, like, we always have a part to play in any dynamic. And so it's not, I don't like the school of thought that is just sort of like, they're a narcissist, they're an addict, they're this, they're that. And it's like, okay, maybe that's true. But you need to look at what your partner is. Why were you drawn to that person in the first place? Why did you put up with their shit for so long? How did you enable that shit behavior? Because guaranteed, we all have a part to play, especially if that relationship was a long-term one, you know. Of course, there's that Netflix show, Dirty John, and he was really good. He was really good at playing um, the charismatic, you know, chivalrous guy. But there, even with him, there were signs. And you know what the main sign is? Our gut. Our gut. Our intuition always tells us, and a lot of the time we just don't want to hear it, and so we ignore our gut. Now, this can get tricky when it's like, you know, what's the difference between our gut um, and our, our sort of anxious ego head voice? And what I'd say is when it's your gut, the what what your gut will tell you is really, it will say it in a calm voice. It's really simple, really clear. And the generally, like, the voice is quite low. And it's like, he's cheating on you. Don't trust him. He's lying. It's, it's simple like that. When it's our head voice and we're maybe being paranoid and obsessive, it's like, maybe this, maybe that, there's a thousand things going on. It's very high pitch. It's very fast. It's very like intense and confusing and a lot of chaos. So that's how you tune in. You can just ask yourself, is he cheating on me? And just see what is that first response? What comes up for you? And whatever that is, trust that voice. And then you have to act on it. And so you might say, listen, I'll be honest. I have a really strong feeling that you're cheating on me. I can't be sure. But that's what's coming up for me. What have you got to say to that? And just watch their reaction. Because if Joe said that to me now, and I'm certainly not cheating on Joe, if Joe said that to me, do you know what my reaction would be? Oh my God, babe, I'd literally hold his hat, head in my hands, look him in the eye and say, I'm so sorry you feel that way. Please tell me what has led you to feel that way. And I want to say, hand on heart, I am not cheating you and I love you and I would not do that to you. But I want to understand what has got, got you to the point and got us to the point where you think that's the case. Because I am very, I, I don't need to defend because I know I haven't done anything wrong. When someone reacts really like, ah, and gives you loads of shit, usually it's because you're onto something there. You don't need to get defensive if it isn't true. You might laugh and be like, babe, what the fuck are you talking about? That's ridiculous. You might do that, but you're not going to attack them. Just a little, uh, little piece of wisdom I gained for all my years of being very naughty. Okay, so number three, how to know if the relationship can be saved and how to save it. So you know where I really, the inspiration for this is my parents. Um, I've been very open about sharing my parents struggle with drug addiction. 
and they got sober um, kind of separately in, in my teenage years. And I am so grateful for the example that they showed me. They have, I, I need to say this, they're very rare, firstly, just to, to get sober in the first place, but actually to maintain their relationship and, and have a, a genuinely thriving relationship. Not perfect, but a good relationship. And this is what I learned from them. Both partners genuinely and equally have to want to save the relationship and be willing to do the work required. Not just together, but individually. Because for a relationship to have got toxic, then there's there's a lot of shit going on on both sides, as, 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 as I've already explained. So you need to have some outside professional support, whether that is couples therapy. You know, one way to go is couples therapy and you also have individual therapy. There are 12-step fellowships that you can look at. There are group coaching programs. There's a whole host of different things and you just need to go and, you know, there's obviously books you can read. But what I would say is, you you know, books are great, but you need to have more than that. You need to have someone who is objective and who's experienced in, um, in whatever it is that you're struggling with inside the relationship. Because, you know, essentially I'm a cognitive, I, I trained in cognitive behavioral therapy. And what, what you learn with that is essentially to challenge your limiting beliefs. And it's so important that, you know, we we aren't just showing up and trying to fix this difficult thing when we don't really know what we're doing. You know, as they say in AA, our best thinking got us here. So we need to maybe try something else and rely on someone else's experience and wisdom, someone who has uh, proof that either they or they've supported other people of getting through the, the same issues that you and your partner are struggling with. It really is about taking responsibility for our own part and how we have contributed to this dynamic. And I also think it's really worth saying that it's not worth staying in a dynamic just because you're terrified of being on your own because it never works. I know I stayed in relationships way past their sell-by date because I was terrified of being on my own. And ultimately, there is only so long that you're going to be able to do that. And what happens is that's like you're you're clinging on. Do you remember that song by Kate Nash? It's like my fingertips are holding on to the cracks in our foundation. I always imagine like this is what I was like in relationships. It's like one long fingernail, like my forefinger, and I was like literally hanging off a cliff edge by this fingernail, like. And it was just going down. It was inevitable at some point. I was just, that fingernail was going to crack or the cliff was going to fall or whatever. I was going to fall and die in a ravine somewhere. But the point is, that is not a foundation for a healthy relationship. And it's not sustainable. You can get through, as I've learned with my parents, and I always want to be really careful about saying this because I, you know, I don't want people to just sort of go, oh, see, Persia's parents managed to get through it and therefore justify all sorts of shit. Um, the reason my parents got through it, in, you know, really was because they had no other choice. That's how they felt. Like they didn't want to lose the family and they were willing to do whatever it took. And that meant doing the work on themselves individually and as a couple. And it was fucking hard. And it was worth it in the end. But it's not always worth it. Not everyone is compatible. And that's even the case of two people who really do want to do the work and show up. And even sometimes that is not enough. Sometimes you're just not a compatible fit and you are bonded 
through a, a kind of tra your trauma bond essentially and there's just no way for the relationship to work but what you've learned in that relationship however toxic it was will inform your decisions and your choices of a romantic partner and relationship going forwards nothing is ever wasted nothing is ever wasted I really believe that you know I had some when I look back arguably shocking relationships in the past but if it wasn't for them and the lessons that I learned in them I would not have the relationship that I'm at to, you know, I'm in today and the relationship I'm in today is not perfect and we have our moments we it seems it, well I wouldn't say it seems to it definitely gets better every year and easier every year um, because we continue to grow and to evolve but then at the same time, there are new and fresh problems every year and great opportunities as well. Like, I think in a healthy relationship, what happens is that um, it's like the good stuff becomes really challenging. You know, I've got a few great friends who've had babies recently and they were in great relationships. But having a baby, God, it throws up all your shit like you wouldn't believe, I'm told. Even getting a little puppy. My little puppy's just sort of conked out on the floor over there. Even getting a puppy brings stuff up. Moving out to the countryside, buying our dream home, like all of these sort of things that I so desperately wanted and I'm so grateful for. My God, they've been hard. You know, good things take time and good things are also challenging. That's what gives them substance. We live in a culture that is so like, I want the quick fix and I want the, the easy wins. And it's not to say that that's not always appropriate or okay. But if you want to have deep connection then you know do you want to play life in the shallows like what's her face um what's that film lady gaga in the shallows you know you know what i mean do you want to be in the shallows or do you want to do you want some depth and i you know i'm all for having a lot of depth i think we also need to have the light light and the playfulness and the silliness as well but ultimately i know that I'm in a relationship which has substance and depth and I can talk to him about anything and I can share anything I'm struggling with. And he might not always understand it because I can't. we can't expect our partner to be the source of everything for us and to understand everything. Of course not. But I know he's got my back. And I know that, you know, we can go traveling and we can throw ourselves into different cultures when COVID isn't screwing up the world. And and he's open-minded and, you know, we are willing to learn about ourselves and to learn um, and to put ourselves in difficult situations like jumping out of planes and swimming with sharks, which sounds silly. But for me, you know, doing that with Joe, Joe really helped me get out, my God, get me out, get out my comfort zone and to show me what I'm made of and to show me what comes from facing your fears. And I want you to be in, and I hope you do as well, I want you to be in a relationship like that, which has depth and which can grow and evolve with every year that passes that doesn't just get stagnant and boring. And I think that that's essentially what the opposite of a toxic relationship is, is that you are both individually and as a couple willing to go on the journey together to evolve into the highest version of yourselves. And that doesn't mean the perfect version of yourselves. The highest version of ourselves is the version of ourselves that can say, I'm sorry I was a dick today, babe or I was a bitch earlier, or I'm sorry that I snapped at you, or I'm sorry that I wasn't very supportive. Like, we don't have to be perfect. We're human. We're not going to, like, be, like, these perfect enlightened beings in every moment. But we can own our shit. We can own our mistakes. We can apologize. We can try harder in the future. That's it. That's ultimately it. That is, for me, the opposite of a toxic relationship, when you want the best for the other person and yourself. 
and you are willing to do the work required in order to facilitate that. So I hope this has been useful. If it has been, um, you will get a lot out of my new book, Love is Coming. This book, I designed it to help you find and keep the incredible relationship that you've always wanted, the relationship that is going to help you evolve into the highest version of yourself. That relationship you might have not really believed is possible for you. You might have seen it elsewhere. You might have seen other people have it, but you might not believe it's possible for you. And I promise you that this book will show you and prove to you that it absolutely is. So click the link in the show notes for this episode or Google loveiscomingbook.com to access the book plus an amazing free audio training I created for you called The Fastest Way to Meet Your Soulmate plus some other goodies. You can also just look up on Amazon, Persia Lawson or Love is Coming and you will be able to get the book there too. So I hope this has been helpful. Please do come over to Instagram at Persia Lawson and let me know which insight or tip um, has resonated for you the most and why. I will see you next time. Bye. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. I really do hope these episodes help you find dates that become mates and flings that become things with men who are ready, willing, and able to actually commit. Please be sure to like, share, subscribe, and leave me a review if you're getting value from these episodes. This helps the podcast rank higher so it can reach other people who want or need the support. To have your question answered, send it over to podcast at persialawson.com and we'll get to it ASAP. See you next week, gorgeous. I release a new episode every Tuesday. But until then, remember, love is coming for you. So surrender to the festival that is life on planet Earth and trust that what misses you was not meant for you and what's meant for you will not miss you, including your soulmate. <laughs>